This episode is sponsored by Fire and Fuel Coaching, where I help you discover who you are and where you want to go, both on and off the job. For more information, please reach out to me at my Instagram handle at Jerry Fire and Fuel. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Enduring the Badge Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Dean Lund, and I don't want you to miss an upcoming episode, so please hit that subscribe button. And while your phone's out, please do me a favor and give us a review on iTunes or our Apple Podcasts. It says, hey, this podcast has a great message, and we should send it out to more people. So please take that 30 seconds to a minute to do that review, and just maybe by doing that, it'll push this up into someone's podcast feed that really needs this message. My very special guest today is Stephen McIntosh. He's spent 20 years in the Navy and most of that time away from his family. Listen to his perspective on how it takes a toll on his family for being gone so long, but what special things he did to stay connected to him. Steven's almost ready to retire and start a new way of life and a new business called Salty Hands Woodworking, which creates some amazing flags. Let's jump right into this episode with Steven. How are you doing, Steven? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, How about yourself? I'm doing good, doing good. Had a little vacation last week, so uh, come back to work a day <laughs> after. Now I'm back to work doing this. So yeah, it's, it's been it's been busy, but good, but good. Um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. First of all, yeah. Um, I, I'm originally from Massachusetts. I'm back in right after uh, September 11th happened. I ended up joining the Navy, went to boot camp in 2002, thinking not only do one enlistment in the Navy, and one thing led to another and unexpectedly got, well, expectedly got married (laughs) and uh, decided that I'll try one more re-enlistment just to get my family stuff straightened out and here I am 20 years later, still in the Navy, about to retire, about to retire. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so how many kids do you have? Uh, we have two kids. Our, our daughter, Cadence, she just turned 14. And our son, Colin, he's about to turn 11. Wow. Nice. Those are fun ages. Or can be. <laughs> fun, fun is one word. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> challenging is probably another <laughs> I, i'm yes it's it's navigating navigating adulthood or parenthood daily i'm yeah. learning every day how to how to navigate these ages yeah right yeah so um your living situation is probably not overly unique to a, a lot of people that are enlisted you live in one one place and then your family lives in another yeah, so I'm currently living in Virginia Beach, and my wife and kids, we have our house up in New Hampshire. Um, we had every intention of retiring in Washington State, but my family and her family are from New England, and family dynamics changed, and we made the decision to move closer to family, and New Hampshire was the place we decided. So we decided to get them settled so they don't have to move again. And I came down to Virginia to finish out my time in the Navy. And when I'm retiring, just go back up there and, and meet, meet back up with them again. So yeah. we can sit down our roots and we don't have to move again. It's one less move for them. Right. Right. So you enlisted after nine 11, was it 
did that have something to do with it? Is that what, was that a motivating factor to enlisting? It, it was, uh, just like everyone else. I, I remember where I was at and, and exactly what happened. I'm watching the news. And then my brother actually joined the Navy. He was flying out that same day to go to boot camp. And I came from a, or I come from a family of military, like a military background, army, uh-huh. some Navy, Air Force. And after that, I just decided uh, instead of reading and then looking at videos of what boot camp is like, everything else like that, decided to jump in and experience that myself and do what I felt was the, the right thing to do at the time. Right. How was boot camp? Uh, it was, it was new. It's the easiest way I could say it, it's nothing like what you think it is, <laughs> but I mean, it, it challenges you. Right. It's, it's really just like anything else you, you get out of it, what you, you put into it. Um, yeah. A lot of discipline and following orders and just going from civilian life and doing whatever you want to a very structured lifestyle. Right. How old were you at this time? Uh, I actually flew to boot camp on my 20th birthday. So it was like, happy birthday. Welcome to boot camp. (laughs) (laughs) Did they have a big surprise party for you waiting there? Um, the, the surprise party was for me and everyone else. We all enjoyed the party at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's uh, talk a little bit about your your career in the Navy. I mean, was, why was the Navy your, was that your first choice? So I originally uh, was going to join the army, but then they gave me a list of jobs, which I qualified for. And realistically they said on there was like you qualify for a dentist i was like i'm not there's no way i think this is a hoax really you're just you're trying to get me to enlist so went right over to the navy recruiters and in my head i wanted to be a navy diver like an underwater welder was my career path i went in there i'm like hey what do you have for me they're like here's your jobs i'm like how do i become an underwater welder like you got to go here to this rate i was like sign me up but then I went through boot camp, got to my first, they're like, yeah, you just go to your first command, tell them you want to be a Navy diver. I was like, oh, that's easy. Went to my first command. I'm like, hey, I want to be a Navy diver. They're like, no, that's not how this works at all. And that was my, uh, my dose of reality. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> like you're not, you're not motivated enough. Go well, this, go unclog these toilets. And yeah, I kind of went from there. Yeah. So what, what is your title in the Navy right now? My job title is a, a whole maintenance technician, really just the welders and plumbers of the ships, pipe fitters, stuff like that, firefighters. So that's a pretty important job, no matter where you're at, but especially on a ship and being out to sea. Yeah, a lot of, I found out a lot of people really underappreciate plumbers until you need one and, and, <laughs> especially when you're in the middle of the ocean, when you have some toilets that don't work, it's a huge, huge ha- uh, habitability concern. And right. it really takes away from the morale, but if their toilets are working, everything, everything else kind of is good to go. Yeah. So you have, when you enlisted, how long after that, before you got married? So I actually met my now wife in two, 
September, 2003, I went home on leave and chances I met her and we got married because I was stationed in Hawaii, went back to Connecticut, met her, went back. We kept in touch and then got married in 2004. So it was pretty quick. And this year, 18 years later, here we are, here we are. And those, those 18 years have had to have some challenges. Yes. Still, still to this day, uh, taking her from her family and moving her to Pearl Harbor, just away from everything she knew, put her on an Island. I was like, Hey, you know, welcome. We're newly married. We're still staying at the hotel waiting for our uh, housing. And then I left for four and a half months. I just, that was the nature of the business. Right. It's been like that ever since. Yeah. So you're constantly have this uh, separation from your family while you're out to sea. And then you're back for, is it a short period? And then you're back out again. So we, we depends on which platform you're on in their particular mission, but usually they do leave for a couple of weeks, come back in for a couple of weeks. That was my ship's mission. Go out, come in, go out. So we were, we were away from, I think the first two years, over 300 days out of each year, just away from home. Wow. It was pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. How do you keep a marriage together when you're, when you're in that type of circumstance? I, it's, it's, it's interesting. You ask, I, I've had this question quite a few times and, and I try to think about it each time. Uh, Open communication. Uh, for us, it's a lot of humor, trying to make the best out of the situation. Um, my last deployment was on an aircraft carrier, and it was sending gifts home to our kids, and then they had to do research on where what country I was in, do all that, and then they had to guess where I was going next, and I'd send them gifts, and so it kept kept their mind off of me being away and same thing with my wife sent her gifts and just communication. And for us, it's a lot of humor. Yeah. So that's kind of a unique way to handle that situation. That's a, that's a I think that's a pretty brilliant idea. I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was trying to find a way to get their mind off of me being away all the time and getting sucked into that black hole of like dad's away. So I'd send, they, they were like, you know, what's he going to send us next? Whatever little gifts and turn around and do research and guess, guess where I'm going next. And I, obviously I couldn't tell them, but they'd find out after they got the gifts and it made it a little bit easier when I came home. So they weren't, it wasn't nine months of just dads away. Yeah. Yeah. So you miss a lot of your kids' lives being on deployments like that. I, yeah, I, I have missed more than I ever wanted to, uh, but because of their support, it kept me going on doing what um, I really, I guess, wanted to do with my career and, and needed to do to, to support that. But it definitely has its down times as, as well. It can get hard. It can get challenging. Yeah. I'm sure they're very proud of, you know, of a, a dad like yourself, you know, being enlisted and 
dedicating your time to your country. And then when you're home, dedicating the time to them. And that's a incredible, uh, incredibly hard balance to, you know, to keep, you know, to keep the, the bond with your kids, keep the bond with your spouse. And I, you know, I could see how that could be very challenging when you come home or, you know, all this stuff has happened and you're trying to catch up on it in a couple of weeks and then you're gone again. Hey everyone. I want to thank my sponsor responder wipes. They're the best econ wipes on the market, far superior than any others out there. I love how thick and durable these wipes are. They're very safe. You can use them from head to toe and everywhere in between. The wipes are extra wet and leave you feeling fresh and clean. They also can be used as a cooling towel on those incredibly hot days or after an incident that gets you overheated. Please check them out at responderwipes.com and follow them on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, we've had plenty of friends that end up separated and, and whatnot. More than I can count people that I've worked with. And our goal was to to beat those odds of the military divorce rate or separation rate. Um, right. We, I mean, we've talked about that. We're like, Hey, we're doing pretty good. But in the military, 20 years seems like a, a 50 year marriage. I'm like, sure man, we, we, we really, did, we really made it here. <laughs> we hit the lottery. <laughs> were, were you gone for some of your kids births or were you? I was actually uh, gone for both of them. I was stationed in, Connecticut and I was training in Washington state for a deployment to Iraq when our daughter was born. And then when I finally deployed, I was gone for her first birthday. Same thing with our, well, not the same thing, our son. So she was pregnant again and I got stationed from Connecticut to Japan and I got sent over there and she got, uh, they, they kept her behind because of her high risk pregnancy. So I missed her birth or his birth as well. But the blessings are is when I went over there, that's when the big earthquake happened in Japan. And I didn't have to worry about them being in a foreign yeah. country with all that going on. She was in Connecticut with her family. So we, we try to take a look at the, the positives of, of everything rather than we were separated. Right. So you went to Iraq on one of your deployments? I did. I was on my uh, first shortage. So they send you from a ship a shorter day to spend time with your family and kind of decompress a little bit. And they needed a volunteer to go to Iraq. And I was the first one to raise my hand. I was like, send me, I don't care what I do, but I had my reasons for wanting to go. Uh-huh. And I ended up deploying over for nine months to be a prison guard. Wow. That would be very interesting in that not only um, being a prison guard, but being a prison guard in a foreign country. Yeah, it was nothing I ever expected to do. But the Navy had said, hey, we'll help alleviate some of the army deployments, but in some of the non-combat roles. So a lot of Navy stepped up and said, hey, we'll, we'll take those over. And prison guard was one of, one of them. Yeah, I, I, I want to imagine how, how was that? Like, did, can you describe kind of how that was? It, it, it's interesting. So they train you for the worst and you go over there and you're just looking at the, the prisoners with a chain link fence between you and them. You don't 
you don't know what they did. You don't know why they're there. There's just so much more to it. You just know that they are on one side of the fence and you're on the other side of the fence and they don't like you. And that's all there is to it. They don't like you. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't like us in any way, shape or form. Right. And, and then we had the, the dynamic of working with the, the Iraqi correctional officers as well on our side. It was just a different dynamic. And it's just really a, a mind game for them. Like, cause they get bored. They start playing games with us and, we're like their uh, game and we're just trying to keep them behind the fence. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I, I could see that that happening. And that's probably even more difficult when you don't speak the language. So they, I couldn't speak their language, but they mm. are, they were very fluent with English. They oh. just didn't want to speak English. Right. And they had their little, I guess, chain of command as well. So only one person would talk to us on behalf of all of them. So if I ever had any issues, I would just talk to this one person. Or if they had an issue with us, we would be the only one to talk to us. They understood everything we said. They just wouldn't talk to us. Uh, I, I would imagine that can be kind of nice, only having one person like come to you with issues and you go into one person. But I'm sure that probably causes other issues in itself. It, it was kind of nice, but I mean, I knew that they, everyone else spoke English as well. so. Um, yeah, we made sure they, they knew exactly what was going on, but if I had an issue, I would just talk to one person rather than the other 50 disgruntled prisoners over there. Right. How long did you stay in that position? I was over there. It was nine months, nine months. And then you came back home and then you, and how far uh, out was the Japan deployment? So I came back in, uh, from Iraq in 2009, and at the time, the Navy had a, a program in place where if you were away, uh, deployed while you're on your surety, you can extend on that surety for the same amount of time you were gone, so they don't take away your time away from your family. Uh-huh. And they asked me, they're like, hey, do you want to extend for the a year and some change that you were gone? And I said, I do not. I want to go back to sea. That's the only way I'm going to advance. And I talked to my wife about that. She's like, that's fine. Took a little bit more convincing to go to Japan, but that <laughs> that got there. And then 2010, I went over to Japan. And then they had the massive earthquake over there in Japan while you were there. They did. And we were pulling in from an underway period and the earthquake happened. We had no idea what was going on. We just started bouncing, waited there for a couple hours left again came to say the tide the ocean tides were too crazy for us to to pull back in safely okay and we went in we couldn't leave the ship they had to account for everyone and then they said hey uh we may be leaving again to go up to northern japan later on today and sure enough no one left the ship a couple hours later like you're you're leaving at i think four o'clock in the afternoon turned around and went right back on the way and went straight up north and what did you what did you do when you arrived in northern Japan? So at first it was search and rescue because a, a lot of the debris from the tsunami came back out to the ocean. And each each command, each ship was given a little box to stay in. So if they found a, a, a random boat out there, 
our team would, our small boat team would go out there, search the boat, see if there was any survivors or um, deceased people, locals on the boat. And if that was the case, bring them back and turn them back over to the Japanese uh, authority for the dignified transfer of them. Um, we did search and rescue for I think a week and a half, two weeks. And then it just turned into recovery. And then it just turned into, we were out there to provide fuel to the helicopters that kept going into land to drop off food supplies, everything back out to our ship, get fuel. And then the mission kind of changed with the, with time. Right. Right. The, those, all those type of missions as they extend in time, right. There's the survivability of people and, you know, they've been hurt and stuff like that. You know, that 10, that time tends to fades away and yeah, your mission changes for sure. How did that wear on you mentally? Uh, so at, at, at first it was just kind of op tempo, go, go on the way, do your thing, do your thing. And it started to wear on me once I was in, uh, we'd sit in our little box in the ocean and I'd be outside and what the news didn't show is after the tsunami, it was snowing up there. So it went from oh. devastation to complete snow. Like our ship was covered in snow. It was just freezing out and we're going through and I'm looking down in the water. We're going through just debris fields of what got pulled out. Then there was rooftops, doors, family pictures, kids, toys. And that's when I started, I'm like, this is complete devastation. And it kind of just, Wore out, wore on me while I was out there looking at it. But go back and go back inside the skin of the, uh, inside the ship, and it's just just like anything else. You put that aside, and you continue on with whatever you have to do for mission success. Your, mm. your personal feelings kind of get pushed to the side a lot of times. Yeah, and when when that happens, though, I feel like you you still have to deal with them at some point. Did did you feel like there was a time that you uh, and a place where you could deal with the, the things that you've seen? At, in in the operational tempo out in Japan, there there never was a time. It's just always oh, so fast paced out there. You're always doing something. So for me personally, there was never really a time to decompress. And then I went from Japan over to Washington State, and I went back to a ship that was about to prepare for deployment. So it was straight into fixing the ship, fixing the ship. And it's just never, I guess not until recently within the past few months, does it start not coming out, but I'd start to think about it more and more the longer I'm away from that high op, op tempo setting. Right. Yeah. I can understand that when you're, you know, in the moment doing your job, Sometimes there's, there is no downtime, like you said, or there is no time to think about that because you are working so hard for your mission success that you're so focused on that. Do you think maybe now you're, cause you're getting closer to retirement. Some of those things are just kind of just coming out. I'm, I'm seeing it. I think my wife has seen it for a little while, uh, but I'm, I'm actually, I'm starting to recognize things more and more and, and trying to, I guess, deal, not deal with them in my own way, but based on how I was dealing with those things is going to seek 
mental health, for instance, and, mm -hmm. and try to work through some of those things. But even that today is a challenge because of everything going on. There's a shortage and there's so many people and it's just a, it's a challenge in itself trying to find all these resources to kind of work through all these things effectively. Right. right. Do you have any particular thing that you do for yourself that helps you with some of those things, you know, between like finding the mental health resources that you need? Mine are just kind of hobbies that put me aside by my, by myself. So I'm not around a lot of people, uh, barbecue and woodworking are my two really go-to hobbies that really, I can focus on one thing for a long period of time. And while I'm focusing, kind of think through some things and do some self-reflection in that aspect as well. Right. Right. So you probably didn't have time for those hobbies while you're so busy being deployed to these various um, major events and, you know, just your, probably your routine deployments. Uh, I, I didn't, I did not. I had no time because before the Navy, I, I went to school for carpentry and I really love woodworking and in the Navy, I learned about barbecue, but not until my, my last command in Washington, when I was on surety that I started getting more into woodworking and barbecue even more so now um, really focusing on those two things it's just my time to to work through what i need to work through right so that's barbecuing is kind of a unique one <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh the i what i've learned is that the majority of people enjoy the end result of barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> I am on that complete opposite side where I enjoy the long process of barbecuing. So if my bar, the, the process takes 12, 14, 16 hours. Yeah. I'll wake up early in the morning and I'll tend to the fire. And I do all this. It's just, I have in my head, 14, 16 hours. I need to focus on that. Yeah. Focus on the, 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 the end result and then when the end result comes up that's for everyone else to enjoy and i'm thinking about the next time i get to focus on <laughs> the process you gotta gotta love some of your own food though i i do but i get <laughs> i enjoy it very much i get more enjoyment personally from the process and let everyone else enjoy it yeah, yeah. i try to stay behind the scenes with all that uh, i bet your family loves it though they they like it. They they say it can become too much, but I'm always trying to find new ways to to bring barbecue into whatever we're doing. <laughs> so, are you actually doing like real barbecuing, or are you use a smoker, or are you what 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 style are you doing? Uh, the, the real barbecue, uh, with just wood. If time's not on my side, I have like our daughter does gymnastics. I'll use a pellet smoker, just kind of set it and forget it type thing. Yeah. But if I have time on a weekend, I'll use just wood and do what people would consider the real barbecue. Right. Kind of just switching gears to maybe to like what's happening today in the world um, with Russia and Ukraine and all the things that surround that. How do you think a lot of the men and women feel that are enlisted right now? Is there a certain like heightened alert or, or what, what can you maybe share some of maybe your thoughts on that? Uh, my experience and, and the, the people that I still talk to 
are on the side of more a apolitical. Uh, really don't get too involved with the politics of what's going on. But if we were tasked to go do A, B, and C, we will 100% support A, B, and C without personal feelings involved. There's not a whole, at least from where I'm at, not a whole lot of talk about what's going on. We just know that if we were called to do something, we are 100% in on going to support whatever we are tasked to do. Yeah. Yeah. For me, sometimes I can look across where I work in the, in the Valley and I can see another fire or something across the Valley. And then I'm like, Ooh, are they going to call us? Are we going to get to go? Like, are we going to get to do something? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think we are ever, I haven't met someone like, Oh, I, unless it's like my army friends, they're trained to go do their thing. Yeah. Like no one in the Navy because for the, the Navy's unique in a way to where even if there's nothing going on, we are still out there doing something. Right. So sailors tend to think a little bit different, like, man, I hope we get a break. Because if, if they were called to action, it's more or less like, oh, this nine-month deployment is going to turn into a 12-month deployment. And we just came back from one. My friends in the Army are over here like, we've been training for something like this. Like, yeah. send me in. Sailors are like, send me home. I'm trying to yeah. take a break. <laughs> that's that's. I'm glad you brought that up. That is an interesting perspective to have because, yeah, it's probably – is does the Navy get deployed more often like that than maybe the, the other branches of the forces? Uh, th- just our mission. So protecting the ocean ways, the, the free, freedom of navigation. So shipping can continue on. Um, there's missile defense. There's all kinds of things that the Navy d- drug, the counter drug operations or counter narcotic operations operating with different navies. There's just so much, that the Navy does on a daily basis that never makes the news other than like a really long deployment. It's just ever, everywhere. It's just ever going. It's constant. Yeah. So I would imagine uh, the average person probably just thinks you're just out sailing <laughs> around not doing who knows what, right. I, I mean, I, I honestly don't think a lot of people really know what the Navy does. Uh, no, that's, I learned that a while ago. Sailors just go to sea and come right. back and they're stationed on the coast, but there's so much more to the Navy. There's intelligence, there's the IT world, um, there's the ships, they all have their different missions, uh, but just always underway supporting air operations or drug operations. Some Marines are always underway. I don't even know where they're at. They do their top secret missions. I don't even know. They're just, the Navy is so dynamic that, like you said, a lot of people just don't understand how dynamic the Navy really is. There's just so much to it. Yeah, because I think, uh, right, the Navy has their own pilots there too, right? And then their own like their own support systems and on their own thing where like, maybe I feel like the air force is right. They do a lot of flying military does a lot, of, you know, the Marines do a lot of groundwork and stuff. And, but with the Navy, there's I feel like multi facets that you can go into. Yeah. There's security guards. The Navy CBs are always deployed to different countries, helping build stuff. Uh, the Navy pilots are always flying their missions and pra- practicing uh, Navy helicopters, 
uh, sailors are in the shipyards fixing the ships. Sailors are other places doing their IT stuff. The, the crypto world, Navy has crypto people. Uh, I mean, you even have the Navy yeah. SEALs, EOD, divers. Yeah. It, it, it's just a lot. What recommendations would you have? Because maybe there are some people uh, listening that they're thinking maybe with what they're seeing going on in the world that maybe they want to serve. And what would you, what would you recommend to them? Um, if you're, if you're gonna join, I guess, do your research on what you want to do, not what the recruiters want you to do. I see a lot of, especially sailors get, uh, they get to the ship and they're like, Oh, my recruiter lied to me. My recruiter lied to me because their job is, is to find the best talent and put them in a Navy based on the needs of the Navy. And a lot of sailors just go in like, that's not what I really wanted to do is really do your research and what you want to do. Cause at the end of the day, it's really your choice, whether you want to join and do that job, or you could just walk away before you sign any papers and be like, I don't want to join. And if you do fully understand what that job entails and where they'll be going and I guess follow on, like if I, if I choose this job, could that translate into things in the outside world and yeah. transferable skills and just more research rather than just, I want to join. Right. Just join right. for the right reasons, not just wing it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Most people I feel like are getting into the service and getting out so fast. Like they're doing like the minimum amount and then they're jumping out. What kept you going for so long? Um, the, for me, it was really a lot of uh, medical, medical benefits, the housing benefits. I always knew that I had a, my, my, my wife and kids had a roof over their head, whether it was base military housing or a, a house out in, out in town. And our son has a lot of therapies and medical appointments and that's none of that comes out of pocket for us. That's so great. for me, it was a matter of the, the stress and, and I guess the suck of being away from them is offset by knowing that he can continue his, his medical appointments. My wife always has a place to live and it, it comes at a price. Yes. But for me, that was more worth it and just deal with the suck end of it to know that they're taken care of. Right. What, and so how close are you to retirement now? <laughs> Uh, my my actual retirement day, my end of service day is November thirtieth. November thirtieth. It is. That's that that'll go by pretty fast, I would imagine. It it is and it is it is. It's coming up really <laughs> fast, and it's a whole new chapter for me. It isn't just because I'm so close to the end and I'm away from my family that every day seems to drag by. But yeah, yeah, it's it's coming up. Yeah. Um. What recommendation as far as I want to say, what, 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 what recommendations would your wife give to like some other wife that, you know, that's in, you know, like, let's say someone's looking to get into the military and, and they're married. What, what things maybe would your wife say to the other wife? Like, Hey, this is what you should expect. Uh, expect, I guess, expect the unknown. Uh, that was the biggest shock for my wife. I would leave. She's like, when are you coming back? I was like, I don't know. 
say, how do you, what do you mean? You don't know you're on the ship. I was like, I, I don't know. I'll show up when I show up. Wait, I don't know. Yeah. And it, it, it took her a while to get used to that aspect to the point where she's like, I'll leave. She was like, all right, I'll see you when you get back. I'm like, all right, I'll see you when I get back. Once she, I guess, got a, wrapped her head around not knowing anything, it became easier and it's more or less find a support system, find friends, find friends that are faithful. So when their husbands are not underway, they're out there doing their things is find the right group of friends that, that make it, make it better. Um, yeah. Be prepared for not knowing anything and your significant others just giving the, I don't know answer. Yeah. I, I've given that answer more times than I can count. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure that would be very difficult, you know, having your spouse leave and with an unknown return time, that'd be very difficult to like, how do I plan my life if I don't know when you're coming back? Yes. And that was the adjustment part for me is that I, she, she came into her routine and did her thing, even with the kids, get her routine. And it was, more of an adjustment for me to come back to that and think, Hey, why are we doing this? Why are you putting dishes here? Why it's harder <laughs> for me to wrap my head around that because I have my way of doing things, but I was never, I wasn't there to work that out with her. Yeah. And it took a long time for me to kind of just accept that fact as well as that they have the routine. They don't have to change because I'm now home. I have to change to see things their way and kind of work through that. Yeah. That would be quite an adjustment. Um, cause you have so much structure probably on the ship and, and doing things a certain way and then coming home and just trying to fit in and give up all that kind of structure that you have on the ship. Cause there's comfort in structure. And then when you come home, I would imagine it's just like, it's got to be a little bit wearing or just kind of a, you have to have the mental uh, wherewithal to be like, Hey, I'm fitting into this cog of the family that's going on. It, yeah. It, it took me a while to to kind of work through that. And then you go through such a high op tempo at the, at whatever command you're at, like work, work, do this, do that. Yeah. To go home. You can't just switch that off and be like, Oh, I'm just dad that shows up randomly. I go home and I'm like, I'm still in that mindset, which, my wife has to really set me straight with that. She's like, Hey, <laughs> our kids aren't your sailors. You're not at work. And I was like, Oh yeah. yeah." But because it's so ingrained in us or for me going home was more of a challenge because I couldn't quite switch it off right away. It's not that easy. Yeah. I could see that. Now I could see why you do the barbecue. I can <laughs> can uh, take up some time for you. <laughs> That's my time to, to work through things and give me time to think. <laughs> time to time to think. And, and, you, and you're giving, like you said, you're probably so used to being up-tempo. That probably gives you a little bit of maybe some normalcy of being in some up-tempo, but kind of relaxing, working through some things at the same time. It forces me to slow down because I can't rush those things. And if you rush it, you know the end result's going to be bad. Right. So it's really just my way of forcing myself to slow down and let the, let whatever process work itself. But while that's happening, I have that time where I'm just waiting for that process to kind of just 
think to myself, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right. Right. Does, does make some sense now. What are you going to do with yourself when you retire? I'm kind of working through that right now. Um, I wanted to get into uh, construction, what I wanted to do before I joined the Navy, but my body is just not going to handle that anymore. And I'm not willing to give up more of my body for a passion. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm looking towards uh, like management positions and then continuously on the side working on the woodworking and barbecue with hopes of becoming self-employed and doing what I really want to do and spend more time with my family. Yeah. So you want to take that hobby and turn it in into a, a business. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, I think you totally should do that. Like if you enjoy it and love it so much, I think that's a, that's a great way to do it. And I think there's a lot of, uh, resources out there for someone like you that's served to, you know, maybe get some financial backing to do those type of things. There is, there's a a lot of research or resources and I'm still to this day looking through those resources. The military has uh, programs where you can find a mentor, veteran, small business administration, like all these resources are out there. It's just a matter of trying to navigate and find them and find a mentor, find a coach, find someone that can help you kind of focus, help me focus on what I really want to do. How do I get there? Yeah. Yeah. Cause mentors and coaches are going to get you to that point faster and you'll be more successful with them for sure. What is, what does your wife think about this? You're like, you're going from like being gone all the time. It's in, now you're going to come home and start a business. What? <laughs> she she is actually 100% supportive uh in me getting out and staying in these aren't those decisions where I just come home one day and I tell her hey I'm going to reenlist or I'm going to get out of the navy these are long conversations that happen over a long period of time and I actually transferred my GI benefits over to her and the kids so she's actually using the education benefits to work on her degree. So, because she was a stay home mom for my whole career. Yeah. And I want to give her a chance to pursue her passion, which is being a teacher. And I just find that it's the right time, my kids, for me to step out of the Navy and be at home with, with them. And then my daughter has these, these perspectives and you got to listen to your kids' perspectives. For me to change, I'm like, I don't want to work weekends. I don't want to work nights. I don't want to work holidays. I want to be home. My wife's like, no, 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 that's not how this million life works. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So then my, I asked my daughter, I'm like, how would you feel about me working on weekends and holidays? Her perspective, she's like, dad, I wouldn't even care. Or, Did you get to come home, come home every day? I was like, I would. She's like, I wouldn't even care as long you get to come home every day. Yeah. That completely changed. I'm like, so the weekends, holidays doesn't matter. I get to come home and knowing that they're excited to, to have me home more so than they've ever had before is just, I know the time is right for me to, to move over to 100% dad mode and have my wife pursue her passion and give her that chance. since so she gave so much up for uh, supporting me. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm sure that was uh, it's somewhat a, a, a sacrifice for her, right? To do that for you. That shows how much she loves and cares about you is to sacrifice, you know, her hopes and dreams. But that is just awesome that you're willing to to step in that role and now let her pursue her, you know, dreams and stuff. Yeah, that's the other aspect of that marriage is that it's not about me and, and my paycheck and, and my what I want to do is that if I'm not letting her pursue hers, I can't say I'm sacrificing mine because I'm really I'm transitioning to another aspect that I really want to go to. But shifting from the Navy into civilian and dad mode to let her pursue hers, I think, is just a good even balance of supporting each other. It can't, it's not just one way. Yeah, I would like to be home that first month when that transition happens. <laughs> I'd like to be there just witnessing what would be happening with the because that's going to be a little bit uh, difficult, I think, for everybody. So when COVID happened, we were actually teleworking to prevent our version of the spread of the, the virus. Yeah. And I was teleworking in my house for a little bit and my wife we were getting on each other's nerves because we were around each other all the time. (laughs) And she actually called her dad. She's like, dad, is this, is this what it's really like when he retires? (laughs) He's like, it'll, it'll pass. So I guess we got a glimpse of what it it would be like, but yeah, we'll, we'll work through our challenges. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she's like, has, like you said, she has her routine and the kids have their routine and, you're, you're, you're stepping on their routine bike when you're, when you're home <laughs> for that amount of period of time. Yeah. It's, uh, but she's shifting more to, I'm not stepping in her routine, but like, Oh, you're home. Oh, I, I need you to do this. and that. And <laughs> I need a break. I'm over here. Like I'm trying to take a break. So it's yeah. that whole aspect of, I need to remember she's doing mom, dad, everything up there by herself. So when I go up there, it's not a break for me. It's my chance to get her a break. So when I leave again, she's still ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, that's a long time <laughs> for, for her to not have any breaks. I'm sure. It is, but, uh, I do, I do try. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the military lifestyle, right? It's, there's, it's not a lot of breaks depending on your, you know, what, what you're doing for your, your job in the military. Yeah, when they do when they do come, it's still not a break. Yeah. So that's that's the future, you know, is the you know, for barbecue, your woodworking, turning that, you know, being a being a home dad and stuff like that. Your wife's uh transitioning to from being a mom to you know, looking at to being a school teacher. Where do you kind of see yourself in five years? Yes. I'm not even sure I'm able to look that far ahead right now. I'm just trying to figure out the whole transition from Navy to civilian. That in itself is a huge challenge for me. I'm just trying to work through that to where I'm not even thinking about five years down the road. I guess when I'm retired and retired from the Navy and move on to the next chapter, give it a couple months, get used to being a civilian and start thinking about one year, two year, five years down the road. But right now my mind is all wrapped around transitioning or retiring successfully in the civilian world. It's a yeah. lot. Did they give you any training to make that transition to, to like when you retired to go into civilian life? 
they give you they give you training. They give a, a three day class, but it's a lot of information in a short period of time. You have to try to figure out what is even though it's all important, but what's really important to you and what's pertinent to you. Because some people need a job, some people want a job, some people don't need this, some people are single. What's what's really applicable to you? And then once that three three day class is done, you have to find more classes that would pertain to you starting your own business or higher education or how to use LinkedIn, how to use, how to network, how to do interviews, how to do all this stuff. And those just aren't given. They're out there. You just have to go seek them out and really find what's applicable to you and, and go after it because they're not, they're not coming after us. Like we have to go proactively find all these resources and it's a lot. Yeah. Well, I think it's a lot for you spent half of your life. You, you were basically a, a teenager. And now you spent another tw- when you're now you're 20 years later and trying to make change identities, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Now you have an identity basically change. Yeah. And that's something I'm working through as well. I'm still talking to people about you know, when I'm done with the Navy, that's I, based on what I've seen is that we are not out there trying to get the civilian world to to form to us is that we have to form back to being a civilian. And I hear that's a lot of the, the, tr- the challenges that service members face is recognizing that you are this person in the military. You are now this person. So if I'm working with all civilians, they don't know the military. They're, they're not as aware of it as I am, but I can bridge that gap. It's really trying to find my civilian identity, but yeah, also yeah. finding those support groups as well to where I don't completely lose my identity. I can go to a veterans group and still find my, not lose my identity, but find my identity while finding my civilian identity. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that's, that's hard for any first responder to make that transition because they've spent so much of their time and life all consumed by doing you know, this job or these types of jobs. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be, you know, a unique challenge for, for me to make that transition too. Cause you're like, if you're, you're a military person, you're always a military person type thing. You know, you've been a firefighter, police officer, you're always, you know, that's carry still carries a lot of your identity, but, but there is a transition. There's a transition yeah, so, and, and there's a miss. You're going to miss some of that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that's where I'm learning is, you know, which try to find these veteran groups or these other veteran style groups. It, it could be even resp- first responders because everyone deals with yeah. their own challenges. And when I go back to New Hampshire, they talk about the military civilian uh, knowledge gap. Was there a way to to kind of bridge that gap between civilians and military, but also military to first responders because do they share some of the same struggles and can they help each other? So it's not just yeah veterans and first responders and civilians, but kind of like right bridge that bridge that gap to combine more support resources to help each other rather than just your own little group. Yeah. Um, before I, uh, Steven, before I let you go, where can people like follow you or maybe reach out and say, Hey, maybe I have some resources that would be, be good for you. 
Or, hey, Steven's such a cool dude. I want to invest in his barbecue business. <laughs> um, I'm on I'm on Facebook, just Steven McIntosh. My Facebook is pretty professional right now. It has the, just a random picture up there. I don't know. It doesn't have my face for, for me, security reasons. But if you search Steven McIntosh and there's no pictures, it's it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the barbecue business I'm still working on. That's really in house right now. And then the woodworking is just salty hands woodworking. That's my woodworking side of things as well. Same do thing. Have, do you have a page for that? It's salty hands woodworking on Facebook and on Instagram. Awesome. I'm trying to tell, keep it small right now. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the salty hands thing for you. So when I was trying to find a way to kind of focus on some things and keep my mind occupied, I started woodworking in Washington again. I was like, oh, I want to get back into this. And I started with some wood pickets from our cedar fence. I was like, I'm going to make an American flag cross. I can't find one. That turned into different techniques, which turned into an American flag. Friends and family are like, oh, this is awesome. It is which awesome. Turned into like one after another to kind of where I'm at right now and trying different things where people have a vision and fo- I, I try to make that a, a reality for them. So it's not for me, not mass produced, but a way for me to focus on something for someone. Yeah. Like a one-on-one type of thing, not just custom a business for mass amount of people, but just one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. And the stuff that you have there is are it's pretty cool. So I've uh seen some like you have some unique designs that I haven't seen anybody do. Some of them I'm I'm still I have so many thoughts in my head, which I'm trying to focus on. Um, some are new techniques I'm trying, some things I have seen other people do. I'm trying to figure out a way to make it, I guess, my own. Mm-hmm. And some things I haven't seen. So some of these things are just trial and error with epoxy, and I'm gonna try to integrate my my metal working into american flags and and things like that to make like something more unique without taking away from the overall concept of the american american flag yeah i mean these flags are, are so unique that i mean that this could be another way to generate uh money to do your barbecuing thing because i that's gonna be really tough to do both of them at the same time uh, I, I, right now I'm leaning more towards the woodworking side of things and doing barbecue more locally. My, my wife's or kid's school or something like a family gathering, uh, more local. So I'm not a restaurant. I don't want to get into the restaurant business. Just, it's never been a passion of mine, but <laughs> yeah. really for enjoyment work, of, <laughs> yeah, friends and family and, and enjoyment like that. But for me, the woodworking is, is really where I want to go with barbecue on the side. Yeah. Shoot. I wish I, I wish you had a barbecue. Yeah. I wish we had some pictures, but you, they can go to your Instagram, <laughs> um, and see these, these flags. Yeah. I started the Instagram later than Facebook. My wife's like, Hey, you need to do this. And as well, I'm still learning the different, uh, forms I can use. Cause again, I was so focused on work that, the, the business thing never really became a thought, but at some point it became too much. I took it off my personal page, made a business page and it's kind of 
slowly growing, which I'm fine with. I'd rather slowly grow. So I don't feel like I've failed right away. And now it's Facebook, Instagram, and kind of where I'm at right now. And I'm perfectly happy with not exploding to a point to where I just, I fail right away. Not going to fail, man. You can't fail. (laughs) You can't fail. You just, you just keep trying and just keep getting after it. And with those designs that you're doing, things like that, there's always going to be a demand. Well, I, I appreciate, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm going. We'll uh, right now focus is retirement and then we're working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you going to do that out of your home or? Yeah. So I have a, a good sized basement now. So once I build my wall, I'll have my woodworking side and that way I'm, I'm home. I can help with the house. I'm kind of focusing on not renting out a business and taking money away from what really matters to us. Like my daughter's gymnastics and our son's basketball. So if I have my shop in my house, that's no overhead. I'm not paying a rent on something. Yeah. Try to keep it in my house. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, we'll put in the show notes where people can find you and how they could possibly order one of these custom flags that you do or send their idea to you and have you create that for them. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just, just know that right now I'm so focused <laughs> on retirement and my, my tools are up in New Hampshire, <laughs> but once I make it up there, hopefully, hopefully July timeframe, I can get back into it. And like, I'm, I'm right at that transition period right now. But yeah. 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 Maybe I'll have some pre-orders. <laughs> to get you started some motivation <laughs> some motivation external motivation I, I like it well thank you <clears throat> excuse me thank you so much for being on the podcast today i really appreciate your insight into the navy and how uh, the navy life is and maybe some listeners are which are watching the world's events will have even more appreciation for our men and women that are serving and not just them but the toll that it takes on their families no, I, I appreciate you having me on. All right. Take care. Hey, you as well. Hey, everyone. Please check out my very own apparel line, Fire and Fuel Apparel. There you will find a wide array of apparel honoring first responders that can be shipped worldwide. Please give me a follow on Instagram, too. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you access your podcast. If you know someone that would be great on the show, please get a hold of our host, Jerry Dean Lund through the Instagram handles at Jerry Fire and Fuel or at Enduring the Badge Podcast. Also, by visiting the show's website, EnduringTheBadgePodcast.com for additional methods of contact and up-to-date information regarding the show. Remember, the views and opinions expressed during the show solely represent those of our hosts and the current episode's guests.